0: Good evening, everyone. I hope you had a fantastic um, week. And um, it's Friday and we're going to be... That's just beautiful. And we're going to be talking um, about Canon Divergent Points, which I think is timely. Um, maybe not timely enough for those of you who are participating in July's Rough Trade, but you know, um, timely enough. Anyways, <clears throat> um it will definitely help for November. And also it will help, I think, probably um, for those of you who aren't interested in writing a um, time travel for Quantum Bang. The second easiest way to do a Fix-It is to do a Canon Divergence. So, you know. You know. So we're going to do that. Um, if you have a particular... Uh, um, subject series episode book movie that you think we might be able to offer you some point points for and you're in the chat room, please feel free to chime in and let us know. Um Jillian, who gave me a middle name this week. Um do you have any business that's that will be relevant um in the morning when I upload this podcast? <laughs> yes, yes. Two, <laughs> two things. Uh, we did start Fluff Bingo. Sign ups went up last night. So it's kind of supposed to be a low key informal thing. And, um, well, I need to get, she has to have a full name for, you know, when I'm talking to her sternly. Um, <laughs> I got Kira Marie last night in the middle. Of, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, you know, I don't know your middle name, but you're getting a middle name because I need one right now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Fluff Bingo signups went up last night. Um, the official writing period will be July through October. So if you want to blackout, out, you need to do one story a week. Uh, the rules are pretty loose, but you got to be on Discord in order to get a bingo card. I'm not going to entertain doing it any other way. Uh, we've already had 40, 40 people sign up. That's a lot. <laughs> one night. <laughs> so um, if you want to play, just Come on over. Read the rules channel first. Read the rules first, please. And then set, go to the sign up channel and say you want a card. And then you'll be set. Do it. Do, do your thing. Um, the other thing was a follow up. It is located on Just Right. Not on Crossroads, right? That's right. So make sure that you get on the right Discord server. And if you come onto Crossroads and you're lost and you can't figure out how to get to Just Right, just hit one of us up and we will set you up. That's right. Um, there's a whole separate category for Fluff Bingo because I will archive it when Fluff Bingo is over. So um yes, go to the right writing server. Uh right. So the other thing was a follow-up because I've had now four conversations about this. Um and uh once I wasn't gonna say anything twice. I thought maybe I won't say anything, but I definitely need to clarify something. Is I don't know if it was our last podcast or two back where we talked about AU versus Canon Divergence. Yes, um, everything we write as fan fiction writers is an AU. Everything. Okay? As Kira has rightly pointed out time and time again, fan fiction writers do not write canon. Therefore, everything we write is an au Um, when we use the term canon divergent versus au we were talking about it's obvious the things that are not canon divergent like a coffee shop au or whatever um there's there's something i don't have a name there's like this type of au that doesn't have an official name so i'm going to call it a canon similar au where it looks a lot like canon but there's enough that's changed that it cannot be called a canon divergent au Okay, so we were talking about canon similar AUs versus canon divergent AUs, but short speak, we called it AUs versus canon divergence. But yes, they are all, all AUs because, can, because fan because fanfiction writers do not write canon, which means we all write an alternate universe. Um, also, uh, there is a misperception out there that canon divergent means nothing like canon. No, that's not what canon divergence means. It means branching away from canon, meaning canon up to a point. <laughs> so, um, yes. So I just wanted to because there was a terminology issue that we didn't talk about in that podcast. I wanted to follow up um, before anybody else needed to ask me about that or point it out to me. Either or, it's not really canon adjacent, and we, a lot of. A lot of times you see writers um um using the term canon compliant or canon compliant up to a point. Like sometimes I see in Harry Potter I'll see canon compliant and then a comma you know epilogue, what epilogue? <laughs> like, okay, so they're canon compliant up to the point that Voldemort died. Um and then we're 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 diverging from that point. Gotcha. I get it. So, um, canon compliant is usually the term that I see most in, I see it most often in Stargate, where you'll see where they'll have team fix and, um, and gen fic, um, tends to be more canon compliant than, um, than not in Stargate. But, uh, yeah, I said, it. I, I made somebody so mad at me when I first got into fandom because they told me their writing was canon and I said, nope. I said, unless you work for MGM or your name <laughs> or your name is Deloise, you're not fucking writing SG1 Canon. I got news for you. It's really annoying that we can't actually can we link? Um, it is actually Canon Divergent is still an AU. It's called a Canon Divergent AU. That is actually its full name. If you look up the types of AUs that are the most popular, like the first one is Canon Divergent AU. So they're all alternate universes. Now, I would say back in the old days of fandom, you know, back before we had, like, paper. Um, they tried to make a distinction between alternate reality and alternate universe. But I think that, that expecting um, fandom to be able to maintain that distinction was sort of no. Mm-mm. So that didn't last. But... I do think that there is like the Canon similar AU, which is, it looks a lot like Canon. And there's a lot of like the noble Harry AUs that are very Canon similar. They keep a lot of the Canon events. They're just fleshing out the world building in interesting ways. And in a lot of ways they feel like Canon. I've even seen them called Canon divergent, but they are not Canon divergent because the world is too different. But they are in their which ex- makes them uh, right. alternate universe. Which in their which is what we what we were calling AU, but in, in their way, they're canon similar. But they are not canon divergent. So they're both AUs, for sure, but um, so there was just some confusion about isn't canon divergent in AU? I'm like, yes, of course it's an AU, but it was a matter of we were trying to make a distinction between this this mo- amorphous thing that doesn't have a specific name that is very similar to canon, but it isn't actually keeping true to the canon events. Um, and then there's actual canon diversity. So Edie in the chat room, um, what would I call something like Small Magic? Um, Small Magic is a crossover. Um, it could be considered a fusion, um, but at its base, it's an alternate universe because uh, Tony, I'm not Tony, <laughs> I got Tony Jonzo on the brain because I was hammering out ideas for my fluff bingo. Um, uh, Harry is when um, his mother is sacrificed, when Lily sacrifices herself, uh, and this happens off screen um, and many years in the past, uh, instead of activating the protection that happened for Harry in canon. Her sacrifice combined with the previous sacrifice James made in the house. Activated a ritual that they created to send their son somewhere where he would be safe. And this ritual chose to drop Harry Potter literally in to Gandalf the Grey's lap. <laughs> Boom, baby. Broken pipe. Um, and in that, because of that divergent point. Because of what they did, and also because of the fact that Lily did this because she was the heir of Pen- um, she was the heiress of Pendragon, and she knew her son would had the ability to be the magical king, and if her and James were both dead, their world was no longer safe for him. It wasn't enough to sacrifice her life to protect him; she had to sacrifice her life to. to to change his circumstances so drastically that no one could get access to him while he was vulnerable and small. And um, so she sends him unknowingly, uh, trusting in magic to send him to the place where he would be. She didn't pick out Middle-earth. Magic did that. Uh, So that is, because of her background circumstances in small magic, it is an alternate universe. Those are not canon circumstances that I'm diverging from. In honesty, um, I am diverging from... It's more honestly an AU of my own work. As far as like uh, um, the legacy goes. Where Harry is uh, going to be king. And he pulls the sword out of the Orb of Ascension. Because um, James took his son and ran. In that world... Lily did not know that she was the heiress of Arthur Pendragon. Um, but in the world where small magic she did, she knew. Um, and she knew that her son wouldn't be safe without her. And so she did what she had to do. So that's an alternate universe. We should address fix-its in a different podcast. But there thing. But they're all. The thing is, I think the p- the point about bringing this up is they're all AUs. It's just when we're talking about canon divergent, is a very specific type of AU, and um, well, small magic is in that. It's in that group that we don't really have a name for, right? It is f- similar to can But I consider it more of a fusion alternate reality. I mean it's once when you fuse when you that's that's one of the big issues there is when you fuse um two epic worlds together you you can't can and can't remain intact so but it but in a lot of ways it is similar to Canon. So it, it it's not one of those like alternate setting AUs like a coffee shop or high school or something like that. It, it's not like, you know, so it's not one of the other big types of AUs, but there is this kind of, this blob AU, we'll call it, that, that I just call generic AU, that is similar to Canon in many respects, but it has significant differences. Um, and so therefore it can't be Canon Divergent. I definitely put my back into it when I was creating Small Magic. So, yeah, I would say so. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When you fuse something um, like Small Magic, it transcends canon divergence. So, even if Harry's circumstances had been exactly the same until the moment Lily was sacrificed. Or Lily sacrificed herself. um, And all the backstory was just the same. And then, in that moment, instead of creating the protective wall she did between her and um, between her son and Voldemort she used her magic to send him to another world that um, still is um, such a it's such a dramatic shift from canon that it can't be considered yeah canon divergent But I would argue, that devil's advocate here, I would argue that it could be canon divergent in Lord of the Rings universe, except the story is primarily about Harry. So right. therefore, it doesn't matter. And that's where it matters what your focus is. So when well, people kind of get into nitpicking um, or getting really pedantic about those kind of details, because, well, is it canon divergent for the Lord of the Rings universe? Yes. But it's Harry's story. So what difference does it make? For Harry, Harry's your central focus it is not canon divergent for him it's an alternate universe and and the whole as she talked and Kira talked the other night about how the um the whole noble harry thing in, intrinsically makes anything she does with that trope in au we could even call it a noble harry au if it makes people feel better about having having a name on it yeah harry is on an alternate version of earth so it's literally an alternate universe <laughs> But it's also a fusion, and the thing about fusions is that when you fuse something big like, um, Lord of the Rings into Harry Potter, uh, you create a circumstance um, where maintaining canon canon is is very, 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 very difficult. Um, even in, even in his world, when 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 Harry is um, on Earth, his Earth, um, and he deals with um, the Diverger um whom are called goblins on that world um that is a um that, that's a alternate universe point that i created um because they don't have that kind of uh history in canon the uh the goblins are not the same i mean i'm not using harry potter's goblins in small magic i basically replaced the goblins in harry potter with dwarves from um <laughs> Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and then gave them a na- a new name. And then made them hot. And made them hot. <laughs> well, no, I didn't make them hot. <clears throat> Richard Armitage made them hot. <laughs> well, you cast a bunch of, like, very hot goblins. Well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying, you know, Peter Jackson gave us a template. You gotta follow it. would follow be ridiculous it. not to follow that template. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that was just trying to clear up the point. I, the thing about the AU <laughs> <laughs> that was so badly placed. <laughs> yeah, the thing about you know AU alternate reality fusion—is it an AU? Is it canon divergent? All we can go by really is is some basic premise premises, right? Every if it's if you're not writing for the show. You're writing an au the question is what kind of au are you writing and we were just separating out in terms of terminology in that podcast we were separating out canon divergence from literally every other kind of au so there was au and then there was canon divergence and we were trying to make a distinction between is it au or is it canon divergent but at the end of the day of course canon divergence is also an au and we certainly never meant to imply otherwise otherwise we would be you know smoking that that stuff as we boarded that train with people who think that they can write canon compliant stuff and no just not interested um although i get the idea that somebody who writes case fic like a case fic or team thing or a mission fic for stargate where they never change the events of canon in any way and they don't contradict any of the events of canon. That they could call that canon compliant to a point. I get that, but I just—that's not something I particularly want to read. And you know, I—I I have no advice about how to write that kind of thing because I wouldn't want to do it. Or you know, honestly, it's boring. Yeah, because I got the show for that. Right. If I want to read Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, I have it on ebook and hardcover. Right. I don't need your version on fanfiction.net full of grammatical errors. I mean, I have read some really interesting case fics in, in NCIS. I, mean, I honestly think sometimes fanfiction writers on occasion put together a more logically consistent bit of police procedure than the show did, but that in its own way makes it not canon compliant. <laughs> <laughs> right? But let's also talk about the fact that... Um, when you're working on your ideas for November, um, for Canon Divergence, there are some big thematic tropes that you're not going to be able to use, um, in the challenge because it will be a direct violation of the challenge. And while I don't police the challenge, I am asking you to respect the confinement that I've placed on you in the challenge. Um, so you can't Soulmate. do a big no. You can't do a big, everybody has a soulmate AU. Um, you can't do a Sentinel and Guide AU. Um, so no, Sentinel and Guides are known. If you want to do a canon version with the original Sentinel show, you knock yourself out. I'd be happy to read it. Maybe, depending upon if Blair cries a lot. <laughs> <laughs> right, if if Blair cries a lot, I'm not on board. I'm just saying. Um, But you can't just slap sentinel and guide on top of your show or your book idea or whatever you're going to do and call it canon divergent because it won't be. It'll be a fusion Um, and you will have fused your way right out of canon divergence because if sentinel and guides are known, then your canon universe does not exist. And therefore you cannot diverge from canon. Now we did talk about something very specific a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was a month ago, maybe it was two months ago. It was probably this year,
1: probably where we but talked who knows.
0: about <laughs> a very specific um circumstance where, <clears throat> like, uh, for instance, if Jim and Blair went on the expedition and um he woke up another sentinel, uh. That would be considered canon divergent. If your character comes online as a sentinel and sentinel guides are not known, and you do an awakening fic where you wake up a whole bunch of sentinels in a world where they never existed before, which is ambitious as fuck for November, I don't recommend it. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't do it. I've been, we did the math. I've been writing a while. I don't want to do that math again because the because the infant's in the room and I don't want to hear her talk about how young she is again. Um, but uh, I've been writing for a while. Let's put it this way: and I would not write a Sentinel Awakening fic. No, and I would in need November. probably 150k to tell the first story um, of that. And I just it's not. I'm trying not to get into projects. More than hundred k in November anymore. Um, I think my minimum would be a hundred k. Yeah, so hundred minimum, hundred and fifty is what I think I need to get um, the first story out. And the only way you could do it uh, to me and not have it be long, um, for you know, for me is you got to do a big time skip. But a big time skip outside of the prologue. I mean, you could do a big time skip from prologue to chapter one, but unless you're doing a lot of big time skips, a single big time skip, you know, that is just, you know, like you've done 20K and then you do a gigantic time skip, that feels like you should have written two stories, in which case it doesn't really qualify, so, you know, anyway, um, I mean, you guys, you think about politics, you got to think about social ramifications of a, a, you got to think about the systems that would be stressed. You got the medical systems, you've got the emergency systems, you've got people coming online with empathic gifts. If you go that route with the fanon, you've got sentinels coming online with advanced senses that they cannot control. And if this is a mass awakening with absolutely no foundation for care, Hundreds of maybe even thousands of people would die. They would go into shock. They would have feral episodes and get put down by cops. Because they wouldn't know what was happening. They wouldn't know how to handle them. A mass online it, it is a nightmare. You gotta, you gotta look at your ripples. Having a single sentinel come online. Yeah. Is doable. But having the sentinel and guide kind of burst out of the closet. Uh, that's like that that's an undertaking that I would not plot under 500k. You're absolutely right, lady holder. And it would be a series of books I, mean, I sure as hell wouldn't start book one in November. <laughs> well, and honestly, I mean, I, one of the reasons why I wouldn't do it is because to me, it's not really any fundamentally any different than um, in terms of ramifications uh, of as a psychic AU that I already started. And that went dark on me so quick <laughs> it was like It got really dark. I mean that's the first time I've ever backed out of a beta. Yeah, it was <laughs> it, 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 it got it got it, it was going a bad place. Um and I, I No, I mean, you know, um I think it's important that, you know, uh to to protect yourself. When you're working as um, a critique partner or a beta or you're bouncing ideas with somebody, if their idea makes you uncomfortable, you need to be able to tell it, you know, say it to them. And if you feel like you can't say it to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um I don't understand what you meant, but it's it's an important point to make anyway. If you feel like you can't tell them that their idea is is making you uncomfortable, then you're not in a good situation anyway. You're not in a good relationship, and you don't need to be in it. If you can't communicate with the person, any person in your life, without fear of them um, going off on you, then you're in a very toxic situation. So it never crossed my mind that I couldn't say this to Jillian. I was like, look, I can't I can't handle where you're going with this. (laughs) (laughs) That said, she did help me brainstorm how to pull it out of the abyss that it was going into. Because I couldn't see my way around. Because when I started working on on the logical consequences of my plot points, it was just, I was like, damn, this is just going to get so ugly. Um, Because my plot didn't match up. I mean, my plot document was a lot fluffier than... The what 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 the lot the ripples where, where the ripples were taking me okay so um, so Kira read to a point and she's like I just can't <laughs> she's just said this is just too much for me and uh, I said yeah it's too much for me too I'm kind of stalled out on it but you know so even though I don't think she'll you know even if I finish it I'm you know I'm really clear she's not going to read it which is totally fine I totally respect her boundaries around that um, but she did help me figure out how to. You know, pull it up out of the abyss, and keep it from being as uh, going to, uh, as ugly as it was feeling like it was going to go. So, you know, but you gotta be careful with your ripples, and um, sometimes being true to your ripples can can be um, dangerous. Yeah, and that, and I'm I try to stay true to where the ripple effect will take me, even if it and when it contradicts my plot, it tells me there's something I hadn't thought about. So. Um, that's when I kind of pause and go, I'm having a problem, and that's when I ask Kira to alpha read it, and she kind of got to a point and went, I, this is really pushing my buttons, <laughs> which I understood. I mean, I completely understood why why I could push her buttons. So, but we still had a long conversation about it, and I got some ideas about what to do with it um, when I go forward. Um, and the last time I brought this story up on the podcast, a bunch of people felt like they needed to. You know, chime in about either how much they agreed with Kira or um, ways I could fix it. And like, honestly, please don't. For real, I'm like, I'm interested in zero feedback on this story. I don't need anybody's help fixing it, and I don't care how anybody else reacted to it. Honestly, I really don't. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, honestly, on a for real note, because um, Jillian and I have a very similar process. Balancing ideas off of each other comes really naturally to us. Um, and you, and you'll see it in plot drifts um, that we have a, you know we have a very similar rhythm, even though I think that um, narratively speaking, we have a different style. Um, but on a procedure level, um, we, we kind of put stories together in a similar fashion. Um, so if I'm going to ask for plot advice, I have a select group of people that I go to for different things. So I don't want strangers, people I don't know, in my process. (laughs) Yeah, and you know, when my when my story is turning into a dumpster fire, Kira is one of the people that I go to because I trust her to be honest about is it the dumpster fire? I think it is, and And sometimes um, it's not what she thinks it is is the problem. (laughs) Something else, yeah, something else. Um, But the problem with you know sometimes me talking to people who I don't have that confidence with or that trust with is they just encourage me to keep doing what I'm doing, which is like not good. Not ever. It's not what I'm I'm asking for help. The last thing I ever want to hear. Actually, it's weird. You'd think people think that you want to be validated, right? It's like for somebody to go, no, it's wonderful. You should just keep doing this. I'm like, well, can you give me a little bit more than that? I mean, I feel like there's a real problem here and you're telling me it's, you know, wonderful. Keep doing it. And this is how I don't wind up, you know, ever talking to some people again about certain issues, is because yeah, I don't, I don't need sometimes the problem. It, I mean, I get that from my husband. No. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the problem isn't what I think it is, but it, I always know when there's actually an issue. I just may not be able to put my finger on it. And so when someone just blows sunshine at my ass, it doesn't help me. Now, on the other hand, I don't need somebody to come and rip my work apart. Because I've had this experience, too, where someone comes in and gives me a bunch of critique. And I go, you know, I'm going to tell you right now that none of that resonated. Absolutely none of it. But really, you didn't need dragons it, in that it, story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the story's about oh, dragon no. shifters. No, but, you didn't you need know, they don't add. They don't add anything that- they don't add anything to the narrative. How do you? Did you read the story? <laughs> did you? I'm not 100 sure. For those of you who are who have not listened to the podcast in the past, um, Julie wrote a story called Emergence. You might remember it. You might have noticed it. Um, and um, this lady offered to beta for her, and then told her she should take the dragons out. <laughs> And this was after it had been on rough trade, so the lady knew what she was getting. Yeah, yeah. Take just take those dragons out. I was like, well, she also that wasn't the only thing. It wasn't she a said, surprise you know. dragon. <laughs> um, I, I'm like, and make them what if they're not going to be dragons? What are they going to be? I agree, Zoe. But anything is improved with dragons, um, except maybe summer heat. <laughs> um anyway so yeah so that was kind of a tangent um but, but yeah if you if you've if you've read if you I, I did put intuitive on EAD because a lot of people had I well honestly because I wasn't certain if I was ever gonna get back to it and some people had read parts of it and I was like I put parts of it up for it was part of the stream big bang. And so I put part of it up for their evil author day preview. And so I got asked a lot about whatever happened to it. And I decided I'm like, this is one of those cases of where I don't know if I'm going to come back to the story because I had a really hard time with where the, the place I, I got to in my head on that story. And I was like, well, this is EAD's is a prime candidate for, for, for putting this up for EAD. So, you know, um, if you enjoy it it's there for you to enjoy if you don't enjoy it don't read it and I, I don't need to hear any more about it but it is it to me having been through that experience is exactly why I would not do a mass sentinel onlining I wouldn't do it I wouldn't do it I wouldn't do it I've already been down that path I didn't enjoy it it's in, I mean it was in t- it's intense um, and there are so many ugly paths you can go down um, with government regulation, with slavery, with um, um, uh, lots of people dying, riding. I mean, you know, here's the thing. In reality, someone who is mentally distraught in today's society is more likely to be killed by a cop than helped by a cop. And if you, ima- <laughs> you can imagine the level of mental trauma that would not only be com- coming to these people but if you go with fanning guys would be projecting it so not only would they be going ape shit They could be driving people around them who are not sentinels and guides apeshit too. Because they have no ability whatsoever to control their gifts. Because there is nothing. There is nothing there. There is no education system in place. There is no legislation in place to protect them. They have nothing. And it would be unrealistic to have a whole bunch of people come online and not address that. The legal and health ramifications alone would give me nightmares. I mean, there's ways you can mitigate it. Um, and if anybody ever wanted to write an AU like that, you know, we could talk about mitigating things I didn't take into account when I wrote what I did. You know, hindsight 2020 kind of things. There's things you can do to mitigate things going dark on you, um, which is not this part. This is not this podcast, but... Um, if you want to go down that kind of path where you want to explore some realistic consequences. Now I think an in intuitive, I actually kind of, sh- despite the fact how dark it got on me, I actually think I stayed pretty middle of the road in terms of consequences. I actually had the world bouncing back from it fairly well, even if they were trying to suppress the rights of psychics, right? Even if they were, even with that kind of oppression going on, um, there were still some sort of rudimentary protections in place for them and it was not perfect but i that's why i think it could i went kind of middle of the road with it because it could have been really ugly they could have been like mass killings so um and in reality there probably would have been yeah so i kind of even though it went someplace kind of dark or darker than i wanted to write i um, think that i stayed you know, toward the middle to the lighter side of the consequences, as opposed to going full on reality. Um, but like I said, there's, there's things you can do to kind of mitigate that kind of th- how dark those ripples get. And um, you just have to be aware that it will go there and, and do your foreshadowing and set up your backstory and, and set up your events. And in some ways to some people that that mitigation is going to come off as contrived. But that's okay if you're trying not to write that kind of borderline dystopian story. Um, you're, and you want to s- still write that mass Sentinel on lining or whatever. Um, even mass soulmate thing, like soulmates suddenly popping up all over the world, would be a nightmare because it would, it would grind the world to a halt. Yeah. Um, how do you go to war with someone if the potential for your child soulmate is living in that country? How do you go on the battlefield and take the life of somebody else's soulmate? How do you wake up? You wake up one day and there's a mark on your wrist or on your arm or something, and it's not the mark of the person you're in bed with. And, and you've what? been married to and had children with somebody else's soulmate while somebody else has yours. And what if their their soulmate, the soulmate of the person you love the most in the world, is someone you know? If it's your best friend. Or your sister. In. Um, a story I wrote. With your heart on your sleeve. Um, when Tony. Um, when Thor's hammer fell. It broke an enchantment. On earth. That unleashed soulmate magic. And soulmates. Uh, find each other. By touching each other. And they get soul marks after they touch. Well, Tony was determined not to have a soulmate, so he stopped touching everybody, especially after Pepper found her soulmate in Phil Coulson, and he was like, "You know, you're still my girlfriend." (laughs) No, I got two. I got you and him, and he wasn't gonna do that. He just wasn't interested, so he didn't let anybody touch him except for you know Phil and Pepper because they were you know soulmates to each other. So he was safe with them. Um, but it would be. I mean, if you think about somebody like Tony Stark, who's, who's got a whole lot of money, and he's very famous, and he's very attractive, and he's heroic as fuck, and you're like, everybody would want to touch him. It'd be a nightmare. On the off chance that, he, that they might be his soulmate. It's, you know. And, and the soulmate AU, the sudden, suddenly everybody's got a soulmate thing, is, it, it's like the kind, fluffy, gentle version of this kind of traumatic world change and yet it still has really dark undertones in places so it's just something you have to think about if you're if you're going to embark on that kind of canon divergence you have to think about dealing with those ripples in nano is high pressure lots of pressure and it's not even and that it rough rough trade is not making it (sighs) high pressure it is the nature of nano Nano is designed to get you to write a novel in a month. That's what it was about. And Kira didn't start Nano. No. She just made it better. Um, So I wouldn't personally choose to embark on a, a project like that. Unless you have a really high tolerance for... Your story is getting dark. Um, and some people do. Some people have much higher tolerance for the, dealing with those kinds of realistic consequences than I do personally. If you go um, over to Wikipedia and you look up National Novel Writing Month, you can get the whole history of NaNo. But it uh, it started in San Francisco in, what, 1990? I want to say 92. And it wasn't the summer. It was a summer challenge. And I forget why they moved it to November. But I'm still not on board with it. No, because <laughs> why did they do it? I mean, it started in the U.S. Couldn't they be a little bit more respectful of the biggest family holiday of the year? Um, Someone earlier in the chat room called us plotting dribbles. Oh, it started in 1991, 1999. I don't know why I thought it was 91 or 92. But it started in 1999 in San Francisco. Um, in July, yeah. And there were 21 people, and now people all around the world do it. But it is designed to be a um, high intensity challenge. There are people who do blogs. You know, they do they do video blogs the whole month about trying to get their novel written and how much it's stressing them out and how freaked out they are. So um, I just wouldn't personally heap more more stress than the actual challenge on myself in November. But some people, I've been considering doing a daily um, kind of audio log um and then posting it as a podcast oh that could be fun but if now you may have a higher tolerance for dark consequences and stories in which case you might be fine with that kind of thing but that's not something that i i always get a little I feel like the rug's been pulled out from underneath me when my ripples go places that are darker than i expected so Now, someone said earlier in the chat room that this is a time when she wishes she wasn't a pantser because she walked right into November with a plot hole so apparently one of us burst her bubble (laughs) about her idea during our talk about that. So sorry, but also, you're welcome. (laughs) Because she wouldn't have wanted to have that epiphany on March, on November 15th, right? (laughs) But um, also um, while I encourage plotting, 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 I encourage it. I would never expect someone who is it natural to that process to adopt that process. Um, always, I would encourage you to be the writer you are. And the writer that you want to be, not the writer someone else wants you to be. Would it be my preference that you were all plotters? Yes, I'd be very comfortable with that. But that's not... That's arrogant and unrealistic. Because creativity can't be boxed up and, and treated that way. Because it creates... It fosters a very ugly environment. Lady Harder, you don't give me hives. Sometimes you make my left eyebrow twitch, though. <laughs> you give me hives no i'm sorry actually it's like literally everything but you that gives me hives (laughs) um now one of the things though i will say one of the things that i run into no the right eyebrow is reserved for my husband she got the left i only have a left eyebrow twitch yeah um one of the things about i will say about pantsers though um is that there are there are strategies for mitigating the problems that pancers run into and i would say about 80 percent of the pancers that i've worked with in my years writing um which is almost double what margaret has been alive okay i'm just getting it out there <laughs> um so she doesn't have to bring it up again uh, is most of them are not willing to do any of those things which i don't want really to do with that okay honestly i don't know because that that's not that's a matter of if you if your creativity is if you're creative around and that's your creative style is to be a pantser but you're still not willing to put any discipline onto your craft it doesn't have to be a plot right but no discipline at all i really don't know what to say I have nothing. I'm not interested in helping you out with your plot holes because there are things that every pantser I've ever worked with who was dedicated about writing could do to make the problems that they run into go at least somewhat eased, right? Um little things right. like do a freaking character profile and when you need to change and when you decide to change something on the fly, write it down. But no. But also if if And this goes for plotters, too. If you're sitting on top of a pile of works in progress and you have little to nothing finished, it's time to take a really close look at your process. Are you plotting too much? Are you plotting too little? Do you need some discipline in your pantsing? Or do you need to give yourself a little bit more freedom? Do you need to give yourself permission to kind of go off the rails so you can figure out what's wrong with your process. Cause you don't get here 30 years riding in oh my God plus 30 plus 34 um, 34. In, 34 34 34 34 fucking years in you don't get there by not exploring and critiquing your own process. You know, I, I I used to work with this pantser who. Only if you do that, we like Queenie. What does she do? <laughs> discipline she and said pantsing. discipline and pantsing sounds vaguely kinky. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it could. Um, I try to make sure that all my pantsing is consensual, but um, I don't think I've ever had non consensual pantsing. But anyway. Um, well, there was that one time at camp but that was a whole different thing i didn't do it anyway um now there was uh, this pants right years ago and every time she'd work on a longer story she did find the shorter stories every time she worked on a longer story she was tripping headfirst into plot holes every few thousand words and she'd ride herself into a corner and not be able to get out of it and i said But thing, I and and look at her writing, and I said to her, any I tried to rephrase it to her a billion different ways. The one thing you need to do above all other strategies is do not put an obstacle in front of your character that you do not understand how you're going to get them out of. And she said, but, I'm like, nope, nope. If you're going to put an obstacle in your character's path of any sort, you need to know the exit strategy. You don't get to introduce it. If you, you can't that means you can't throw your character down a hole and break their leg and have zero ability to get them right, out. So if you don't know what your exit strategy is on a problem, you don't get to introduce it. And you will eliminate 80% of your problems. And she said she no, she just no. No, I don't like that. It was interrupting her creative flow. And the way she presented it, it was I'm like, you know, if you can't figure out how to insert that much discipline into your process, you are never gonna be able to write anything longer than 10,000 words. And that's just the reality. Cause the thing is, you're trying to bring in plot devices to, to, to carry a story for longer. You've got to have more to make something novel length. And you you're putting obstacles in your character's path that of uh, some fashion, that you have no exit strategy for. And honestly, and I read one of her stories that I don't see the exit strategy. You've put too many obstacles in their path. And Why did you do so much? She said, well, I was just trying to come up with the next thing. I'm like, and then never served anybody if you don't know how you're getting out. Don't go in if you don't know how you're getting out. And she said, but that, I don't, that's not the way my brain works. I said, you don't want your brain to work that way. I mean, I'm not saying figure out your whole novel. I'm saying, as Kira said, if you're going to throw Harry Potter down a hole, know how he's getting out of it. Who's getting him out of it? That's all. And you know, um, I do talk about the fact that both um, *Brother the Serpent King* and um, *That Old Black Magic* are pantsed. But my version of pantsing—I'm going to 100% guarantee you—doesn't look like a doesn't look a damn thing like Lady Holder's pantsing. Because for me, pantsing is essentially is that I think about it for a couple of weeks, don't write anything down, and then I write it. That's probably not genuinely pantsing. Because the one time I genuinely tried to pants. Y'all all watched that, right? Yeah. I can't pants on purpose. <laughs> I just shuddered, Lady Holder. Oh my god. She said I opened up a document and start writing. No. It probably isn't pantsing. But that is as close as I get to pantsing. Because I tell myself stories in, in my head all the time. It was It was very cute. I sometimes sit down and start to write, but I'm multiple scenes ahead by the time. Once I've gotten more than a little bit out, I know I know where things are going. And I never introduce a problem that I don't know. Because I mean I pants things into the stuff even that's plotted. Kira pants to penguin. Um, but Yeah, I did pants a penguin. Um, because my my little dog ran away and I was sad and you pants the penguin but you went and you did the work to figure out how to make the penguin integrate into the world so if you're gonna pant stuff you you, there are there are weaknesses of every type there's pitfalls of every type of of process because there's not one type of pantser there's like a billion of you right you guys are all special snowflakes but there, whatever your approach is there are mitigation strategies for how to deal with your pitfall whatever it is that trips you up you know and this one girl that i you know i finally had to stop working with because she just it was a harry potter story and she was trying to make it she's trying to write something novel length and she put so many obstacles in harry's path in defeating dumbledore's machinations that i couldn't see how they could possibly win she had written them into a complete corner. And I said, well, what was your exit strategy on this? And it was, we'd had this problem story over story over story. And I was like, well, what was your exit strategy? Um, and she said, well, I didn't have one. I said, well, I said, well why did you do this though? You've made him indefeatable. I mean, Voldemort doesn't have it this good. I mean, Harry's doomed. I, I don't see how you can get out of this. And she said, well, I didn't want to make it too easy. And I said, but. That's you could make it difficult and still understand how they're going to win. She says, Well, I figured I'd figure it out when I got there. I said, Not with the obstacles you put in his path. It's like stranding somebody on the moon, you know, in the in the in the in prehistoric times. I mean, don't dinosaurs are roaming the earth and we're going to send you back in time and strand you on the moon. And then and then what? What happens when the oxygen runs out? Well, I don't know. That was her answer to everything. Well, I don't know. I figured I'd figure it out when I got there. I'm like, and that's perfectly fine if you can figure it out. But like she said, if you've thrown so many if you've thrown so many ands at your character that um, that they're broken and destroyed and there's no light, then you've written yourself into a corner and it goes into your work in progress pile and you leave it there and you never touch it again. Or it ends up abandoned on fanfiction.net. <laughs> Which is exactly what that story is doing. Um but you know and the thing is i was just like and i told her i said i am willing to help you with this stuff but the problem is we're having the same discussion over and over and over again and you don't want to do anything to stop this problem from happening the next time so i don't know you want me to come up with a magic bullet for you and my magic bullet is don't give your character obstacles that you don't understand how you're going to deal with and she said but that stifles my creativity and i said then your creative process is limited to 10,000 words. I don't know what else to tell you. And she did not like hearing that. And, you know, honestly, there are some writers who um, who can't be trusted with anything over 20K. I mean, for that very reason. Um, and if that's your sweet spot, that's your sweet spot. Own yeah. it. Be in it. Because if that is her sweet spot, one of the solutions to her problem would have been episodes or a nove- or a novella series. Nothing nothing she'd ever written had really had an ending. She just kinda went, Well, it's sorta done. I'll call it. That. Wow. They kind of wow. started- I hope I don't accidentally click on a link to this one day. Um <clears throat> but, I mean she had she had she had a lot of works that were finished and she kept saying I want to be a better writer. That's what I would hear. I want to be a better writer. But anytime you suggest anything to her that would improve her writing, it stifles her creativity. And if that's your answer to everything that could improve your writing, the answer to you if you're a, if you're a pantser, the answer may not legitimately may not be Plotting. That may not be the answer for you. Right? But it if you're having a problem and you... But speaking of finding Atlantis, it is up on my side. Oh, yes. Congratulations um, on getting that done so quickly. And there is an extra bonus scene in it. Um, for those of you who have not um, gone over to read it, um, you get to meet Avery a little earlier than in the version that um, was on Rough Trade. Um I had to give Avery a little backstory. (laughs) I had to introduce him a little, you know, because I pitched him in during the challenge because I was upset and sad about my dog. Of course, you know, for those of you who don't know, I did get my dog back. I had to go get him out of puppy jail. Um, Prison changed him though. Being in the big house, it it did him wrong. Oh, I'm serious though. It did change him. He's, he's not quite the same dog. I mean, just four days in, um, in the pound, uh, did some psychological damage to him. I mean, he's um he's uh food aggressive when he, when he never was before. Uh not with me, um and but he doesn't like um Kronos to be anywhere near him when he eats. And he hides his food. He has a blanket in his crate and he hides food under it. And also I think also part of the problem is is that he might have had issues um with the staff he's at he's very well trained um but when they took me back to get him um the person in charge of the kennel said that uh he was kind of avoidant of the staff and i was like did you make eye contact with him and he was like no and i was like he said why i said because he's deaf so if he couldn't see you he couldn't anticipate what you wanted I've been over the last year and a half teaching him a whole bunch. Now, see, when he's a puppy, I taught him hand commands as well as audio together, which was a very good idea, and I highly recommend it because the dog we had before him had gone deaf, and I wanted him to have the ability to know what I wanted communication-wise. And so um, I showed the man, you know, and I got, I got his attention, and I showed him all the commands that he could do, Um with was my hand signals he was like sorry buddy i did you wrong <laughs> <laughs> cuz he thought that he needed a uh, training and he kept trying to put him in um puppy training so that he'd be more adoptable um but he never responded to them <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know what to do with him and i was like yeah he he slowly over the last year and a half gone deaf they also thought he was 5 years younger than he actually is um Cause he recently turned 14 and they thought he was nine and I was like, no, he's 14 and he was like, well, you've taken really great care of your dog. I would never have thought he was that age. Um, So yeah, I mean, if you got a dog, please teach them hand signals when they're young so that you'll have that available to you when they get older. It's really helpful. But I think also because he is deaf, um, he didn't get the um, comfort he would have gotten from being able to hear the people in the facility. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? So, but anyway, he's not the same. That poor poor baby. He's the one that ran away. Yeah. just saying. I mean, his unexpected journey had an unexpected end. But um, Puppy it hasn't stopped him from trolling Kronos, trying to eat his Fireflies? No. My my, my dog, Kronos, he's a Siberian husky. He, he likes to try to make friends with fireflies. Unfortunately, one of Jack's favorite snacks in the whole world is fireflies. Um, and so he'll let Kronos kind of follow one around the yard. And like, you know, have it land on his nose. And he'll, he gets to have a favorite one. And then Jack will eat it. Yeah, he's a troll, <laughs> and then Carlos <Kratos> cries. <laughs> he gets really upset. <laughs> it is kind of mean, but he's a Jack Russell Terrier, and his name really isn't Jack. That's just his name in fandom. Um, and he uh, terriers are not necessarily um, really nice um, personality-wise. Uh, they're um they're very standoffish uh they're a little arrogant they can be aggressive um they usually only have one person um and they have a lot of dignity and if you uh if you kind of if you, if you violate their dignity they are not forgiving i mean chronos you can smack his nose for doing something you know terrible like he tried to by the knife I had in my hand. I mean, he was just you know playing with me, and I smacked his nose because it's dangerous, right? And he cried for like five seconds, and then he was like trying to press up against my leg again. If I had done that to Jack, he would have gotten his bed and wouldn't talk to me for a year. <laughs> just saying, <laughs> there's there's a difference. <clears throat> of course, I say smack I'm, by more I mean like I popped him with my finger. My husband says I'm ridiculous. Because I, you know, I just don't, I don't believe in, you know, I'm very light-handed with the discipline. (laughs) Let's put it that way. I don't. He's definitely a rodent hunter. You would not believe the amount of holes I've got in my backyard. So, can divergent points. Um, Jillian? Well, um, this is a little bit um, tangential to... um a question that was asked about how you know your, what your insertion point is. And um, I always start at the moment, uh, pretty close to when things are about to change, not right at the moment of change, because that can be jarring, right? I mean, sometimes, I mean, maybe like once I've, I've written a story where literally I drop you down in the middle of the thing that's changing. Um, But, Normally, it's like right before, right? I'm giving you the scene or so right before there's the pivotal shift that's going to change the direction of the story. And and when it comes to doing something canon divergent, it's really important to... It also depends on who your POV character is too, right? So in November, um, my plan um, is to start it at one point, you know, can't where, where canon's diverging for... One character, but it actually diverges. The way I have it written up right now, it actually diverges a little bit prior to that for the other character, and um, but it they don't they aren't crossing streams at that point in the story, so they don't. It it doesn't. There's no like ripple. There's no ripple there. Um, so it's like canon is diverging for Tony and Steve at slightly different points in the story, but at that point, in, leading up to Winter Soldier, they don't aren't having any contact because this is post Iron Man three, and and so um, the critical. So I look at what's the critical thing that's changing, and the critical thing that's changing is the thing that's going to change for Steve, which is I don't want to get too much into my plot for November because this is we did talk about up to this point that Steve sees Bucky, recognizes him and wonders if shield knew that's our plot thing right so right. that's the thing that's changing that's the thing that's critically changing so even though something's a little bit different going on for tony for a few weeks now that's not really relevant to where the, and and steve has no knowledge about any of that anyway so that point of divergence will come up later but it's not relevant because steve doesn't even know and it's not relevant in the in the trajectory of the story um overall the arc of Steve being disenfranchised with S.H.I.E.L.D. So the question then becomes where to start that, where to start that um, that thing. And do you drop him down? Do you, do you start the story like right at the moment he's in, he's fighting with the Winter Soldier on the street? You could, um, because the actual moment of change is when he realizes that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been lying to him. Uh, do you start, you could even start actually right in that case, there's a case to be made of starting it right after that he's coming to grips with the fact that he's just seen Bucky and not go through the whole fight. Right? So, what is it that's changed? What is causing your divergence? And what, where, where is it optimal for you to position the start of your story versus what's changing? Um, typically, I think when it comes to canon divergence. It's best to see it on screen, right? It's best to see the canon divergence point as opposed to starting after. But that's the, you know. I'm going to start it. I'm going to start my story um, on the street after the fight. Yeah, that's that's my plan right now, too. I already have the scene kind of mapped out in my head. Mm-hmm. Um. I can see it. I can picture it like a movie. It's really I'm really pleased with it because I really like that about when when I have a really solid moment like that in my head, I feel really good about the writing going in. Like I'm yeah, I'm there. I'm ready to go. Um July 1st we're going to be doing 2 canon Divergence, oh I am anyway. Um The rest of you are supposed to be. (laughs) We'll see what you guys come up with. (laughs) Um, And I picked um, in Terminator. I picked um, uh, there is a time skip in Terminator. Like I watched it twice just to make sure. Um, When they go to bed together, it's still daylight. But by the Terminator gets to the to the motel where they're at, it's night, and it's not just like not like the sun just set. It is deep night. So there's several hours between them going to bed and him finding them. Um, and I want to explore those hours and what might have happened if, um, if Kyle had, had realized that he was most likely John's father. He's going to ask her, you know, he's going to see the date and he's going to know when John was born. This is something that I think most most of his people would know, but most especially I think he would know since he was going back in time to make sure that John existed. So John would have made sure to tell him his birthday. That's like super important information to have. Um, and I think he's going to realize that okay, you know, Sarah Connor is going to give birth in about ten months. Is she already pregnant, or did I just accomplish that? And so it's like. What happens if Kyle realizes that? And what changes? And I want her to bring her mother up. Because I want him to know that Sarah's made that mistake. That she's thought she talked to her mother. But she actually talked to a Terminator. um, The Terminator. Um, I want that mistake to happen. So that they can get out of the hotel, the motel before he gets there. Um, Because I like to have a stand your ground moment. With Kyle and the Terminator. Um. And Sarah, uh, or depending on how much of a skip I do with the time frame, because um, she might be a little bit too pregnant to be having her own stand your ground moment with the Terminator. But I would like to have the whole movie. They're on the defensive. They're constantly running, and I would like to end it in a, in a different place, in a different way. And of course, you know, Kyle's going to live. Of course, that's save Michael B.N. this summer, um, right? And in in terms of and what you did there is you got the the change is his realization and if you start the story after his realization it's not as impactful than for him to realize to seeing that realization because that's where the first change is and that realization everything ripples from there so once you realize where your change point is then you figure out exactly how to start it. Um, I think the realization is really powerful. I think it's also really powerful in the idea we have for November that Steve recognizing Bucky Barnes is an immense moment in the movie. Um, But he never addressed the ripples. Well, Marvel didn't address any ripples ever. Um, Um, Right. Um, And I think it's important... um, as a writer, one of the things you put in your toolbox is the ability to see those ripples and to know when and how to address them. This is something that you learn with experience. I don't expect anybody to come out of the gate. Um, I certainly didn't. I'm trying to figure this out. Well, but your and your ability to pick up on the nuance of it changes the more practice you get. But, I mean, I do see people sometimes putting their head in the... And also your life experience. Yeah. I do see people sometimes putting their head in the sand about... Um, about whether or not there will be ripples of the changes that they're making. And the thing is, if there's even a question, their head is in the sand. There will be ripples. If you're making changes and there's not ripples, why are you making changes? So, um, but it's really important to, that's what, whenever I'm deciding where to start a story, I don't want to start it too far ahead of when something is changing. Otherwise, I'm rehashing events. And what is the point of that? We all know how I feel about that. There's no point in a lot of rehashing. So um, if you identify what your change point is, figure out where ahead of that. This would be like, you know, for 90% of the cases, this is probably going to be the model that will work. Figure out what your change point is, and then figure out a good start because you know how much do you need to lay the groundwork for where your character is you know do you need a little bit of a sometimes a slice of life scene with a character at a coffee shop where you know right before a bomb goes off next door helps set the scene it explains where they are in life explains why they're in new york or whatever and um and you have that little scene that just seems like it's just kind of like a and then all of a sudden a bomb goes off okay And, and the bomb going off is your moment of change And that works great, but what you wouldn't do is write them going to work for their full week and having coffee every day, and you know, you know, just kind of going through their daily rigmarole for ten thousand words before the bomb goes off because it's just boring. Mm -mm. For the most part, that unless your novel is like two, you're planning two hundred thousand words. I don't know why you need ten thousand words of setup before you start introducing change. Um with my um Hobbit story, I'm starting like I'm this is one of the times when I'm starting like right on the change, right? Like Bilbo's in the treasury. He is um Yeah, more than 10, but less than a hundred thousand would be great. <laughs> yeah, more than ten words. Um but so, so Bilbo's in the treasury and he is he basically gets startled by something, this the way I'm planning it, and he kind of turns, you know, a, a different direction, and so he stumbles across the Arkenstone faster than he did in canon, right? And by just a little bit, and it, what it happens there is he picks it up. He picks it up when he's not frantic, and he realizes what he's holding, because he's not panicked, he's not already talking to a dragon he's not running from it he just picks it up it's sitting there he picks it up and he realizes that he's holding um i said it was calling it an egg but then i realized that if 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 they plant things he wouldn't call it an egg he'd call it a seed and he realizes he's holding it what he thinks of a dragon seed and um he's kind of startled by that and so it it's probably in the first two paragraphs and that's unusually fast for me to hit the change moment is two paragraphs but I just don't see the point in rehashing everything up to that point. And there's just, there's no, I don't need to set any scene. He's in the treasury. The dwarves are out, uh, out by the secret door. What more is there need to be said? Right. I'm not changing anything up to that point. So, um, and this actually, actually in both of these cases, I think it's because maybe November, uh, July is a little bit of a different challenge than November. Um, my my change points are very early in the story, um, because I'm literally picking up from a point and writing a different ending, right? Um, mm-hmm. So the same thing with the with the uh, Age of Ultron story. It's it's they're having a debrief or a postmortem or whatever you want to call it, and they're talking about bringing um, uh, Maximoff back with them. And Tony just looks at the he he stops and he thinks he goes, "What? No, absolutely not." And I imagine the way I have it in my head right now is that the no will be in the second paragraph. Is there will be a brief paragraph and then he's just going to say no. And that's the change point right there. And so that's atypically fast for me to hit the point of change. Um, I'm going to um, start my uh, aliens fic right after he finishes showing her how to use the gun because that was hot. And I was like, when I, watched that as when i first watched it i really didn't catch the 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 tension but as i watched it um um how old later on were you i was like oh 10 or 11 okay you're forgiven right um but i watched it as like a teenager 17 18 i was like damn we need to we need to address this um Because the sexual tension in that scene, you can cut it with a knife. And I'm thinking to myself, why is she taking a nap with the kid when she could be getting laid by the colonial marine? They could die tomorrow. Why isn't she getting laid? I'm just asking myself this question. And I've been asking myself that question for a decade. (laughs) I mean, you know, I dropped my pen and now I can't find it. This is a nightmare. I can't even. She does need to sort out her priorities. I'm just saying. Yeah, her her priorities were mucked up. Who needs a nap when that's on tap, right? <laughs> Speaking of, uh, for those of you who listen to the podcast, you might have um, heard a podcast where we talked about Eli's emo blog um, and how funny that would be. Well, Queenie is writing it on AO3 and it is funnier than we thought it would be. <laughs> and we thought it would be hilarious. I almost peed my pants. It, oh my it, god! It's it's great. It's great. Um, it's called Eli's email. Queenie will get get the link, but it actually it's in the podcast link library. It might be. The it link. absolutely is in the podcast link library, um, which you can get to on Crossroads on Discord if you're listening to the podcast. And um, girl, I can't even. <laughs> <laughs> so, my advice to you is don't drink while you're reading this and go pee before you start because seriously i I couldn't yeah, I still so can't can, <laughs> if, you, if you're not on um if you're not on um Discord and why aren't you on Discord? We have so much fun. Right. Um, but if you're not, it really is. That's what it's called. Eli's emo blog. That's the title. And I'm pretty sure if you Google, if you search that for that, you're not going to get anything else. But I'm double checking. Yeah, that's all you get. If you search for Eli's emo blog um, on AO3, there is one result. Subscribed. And it is hilarious. And for those of you who didn't listen to that podcast, it we had a podcast where we were talking about. Um, I don't even remember how Eli's emo blog came up. Eli DeVee's, um obsession uh, with Gibbs, and, and, it, and it took a turn. <laughs> it did take a turn. <laughs> that's, that's all I can say. It, it took a turn. <laughs> and I don't, I think, I don't remember, and, was it, Queenie, were you the one who mentioned Eli's email blog in the chat room? It was you. Okay, so that's why you picked it up. I couldn't remember if you mentioned it or if somebody else mentioned it, but as soon as Eli's emo blog rolled across the screen, we just started cracking up because um, him being an emo blogger about his feeling for Gibbs over the years. And, uh, yeah, so it was. we talked about it for a few minutes on the podcast, just joking about it. And then all of a sudden, she puts a link up. It's hilarious and kind of creepy because it's entirely one-sided. Um, we think. We don't know. We think. Yeah, I mean, he knows a lot about what's going on in Gibbs' pants. I'm just saying. So it, it, <laughs> it may not be entirely one sided. I, I had to take a break over that beautiful cock thing. I have to say, I had to take a break and hold my head and go pee because I could not. I was just like, I am 100% done. I can't believe you. Kudos. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> what what it was that <sighs> I honestly forget which podcast it was. It might have been the one previous to this one, the last one, um, which would be. Oh, I found my pen. It was down. It was down by my mouth. It barely fell at all. It was the plot drift about Tony getting his own team. So. I, I, okay, Eli, Eli blogging about his man pain. It was. It was. The first chapter was great. It was the second chapter where I totally lost it. And early on, Eli blogs, My beloved man bear has been taken in by a shameless hussy. <laughs> <laughs> That's the start. That's like the start of the second chapter. <laughs> My beloved man bear, I had to take a break. I had to take a break. That was like, it, you know, Melody, it honestly depends. I mean, in the right circumstances, it could actually be canon and compliant. If it is entirely one-sided and all in Eli's head and Gibbs never recognizes... all in Eli's head and Gibbs never realizes that the big boner that Eli David has for him, then I would say it's compliant. It's that it that it's canon compliant. But if he is in fact sending Eli um Eli dick pics, um then it probably is not canon compliant because I'm not sure Gibbs would Gibbs would not take a selfie of his dick and send it over his phone. To Massad. Um to Masad. I mean, we don't know that he could have been telling you know Masad to suck his dick. Well, that's but, true. You know, I took it that's the wrong more, way. <laughs> that's more <laughs> plausible. Like like Sadra says, we can't prove that Eli didn't have an emo blog. So you know you could look at it as <laughs> canon compliant. Queenie is the authority on the e- emo blog, and she says Gibbs does not send dick pics to Eli. So we'll just have to take her word for it. Okay, Sahara. I shall look at it after the podcast. I'll look at your email um but uh so insertion points um that have nothing to do with Gibbs dick um so I don't know, give me a movie, and I'll pick a point um, Give you a movie. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen Good Omens, and then it's not a movie, is it oh. No. Avengers, the, the the first Avengers, Divergent Point. There are a couple, and it depends on... Um, I have a couple of headcanon MCU Divergent Points, and one of them is in the Avengers, that um, what would have happened if... Um, and now that we know for a fact that Loki was under the control of the Scepter, um, what would have happened if they had destroyed the Scepter? What if, when they got the scepter, what if the Hulk destroyed it in his in his rampage? Well, that's not true because the the um the stones can be destroyed. They're destroyed in the MCU. Well, that's why they have to go back. But in they're time. destroyed by the power of the other stones. That's it. But that. But also wanda destroys the mind stone so we know the mind stone can be destroyed but she's using the power of the mind stone because they talked to they as i they talk, but in the comic, but canon the stones can be destroyed which cuz they are which destroyed actually is to me makes no sense this is the this is the force that created the universe and you're going to what hit it with a hammer i don't think so it, it actually doesn't make a lot of sense to me that they can be destroyed by anything Actually, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me that they can be destroyed at all. But at least I thought that it was somewhat plausible that the power of the stones could destroy the stones. But I'm not even sure I believe they're actually destroyed. But one thing I would say is that I don't think they would have participated in their own destruction. I, I agree, which is why the, the, uh, nothing they did. I, I kind of I saw what they were trying to do with Wanda and the Mind Stone. Like they have the same harmonics or whatever um, because her, her powers came from the mind stone. But the thing is, she should not have been po- more powerful than the thing that gave her her power. So I just – It should have been a—I just give and take on situation. I just don't think – I think fundamentally that to, to my headcanon is that if the sto- stones appear destroyed, that they've just hidden themselves that's my headcanon but I actually wasn't talking about the stone itself. I was talking about the scepter. Right. The scepter. What if the scepter is just yeah? Because I did think the scepter um, is completely. Different. People conflate the. Um, I know what you meant, but I don't know why we went off talking about the mind about the structure of the stones. But anyway, this people conflate the mind stone is in the right, scepter, people- and Loki is using the scepter to control people. It, people conflate the stone if the scepter its- and the mind stone. It conflate the stones with their packaging. It's like um, the tesseract and the space stone are actually are not the same thing. It's the tesseract is 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 a weaponized version of the space stone. It's a, it's a weaponized casing for right. a big old battery. And the scepter was—I actually think the scepter was a way of harnessing a malicious intent, channeling a malicious intent, channeling, yeah. yeah. and specifically um, Thanos' but- intent. If the Scepter is destroyed and the Mind Stone is revealed, what happens? If the Scepter is destroyed, does that break Thanos' ability to control Loki? No, I would think so. Does he come loose from that? See, it's it's my headcanon that the Scepter is what is channeling. That that what the Scepter does is um, it uses the power of the Mind Stone to enforce Thanos' will. Yeah. So I think that Thor would absolutely recognize um what's inside the scepter if it's broken. Mm-hmm. But by the time the scepter would be broken, Thor would have been separated from the other Avengers because Loki pitched him off the um off the helicarrier. Now my divergence point for that would be a little bit later. Um I mean if Tony like when Loki's trying to and she and he hits that and he, hit, and he touches the arc reactor. Instead of the skin he expected. Um, if Tony responded. By knocking the scepter out of his hand. That wouldn't do much of anything. He'd still be face to face with a frost giant. Um, and not really have the physical ability. To protect himself. But he has the suit. So what if he. The suit came back to him. Like it did when he was thrown out the window. Um, and he hits this. Scepter with a with his repulsor, it destroys the scepter and reveals the mind stone. See, I, yeah, I wouldn't do it then because of the portal. They need the scepter to shut the portal down, um, without having to blow up the top of Stark Tower. Uh, I think that if you do that, then you blow up the top of you blow up the top of Stark Tower. I, I think if I were to ha- destroy the scepter and have I would probably do it right at the very end of the movie. If I were rewriting the Avengers the first with that goal in mind, because where your divergence point sits depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Right? So if your Mm -hmm. thing you're trying to fix is that literally nobody noticed, if that's the problem you're trying to fix is that literally nobody noticed that Loki's eyes were the wrong color and that he was being controlled by some otherworldly force, there are multiple places in canon you could do it. You could do it on the helicarrier. Thor could just notice when he's talking to his brother that his car has eyes with the wrong color. But I was thinking about doing it at the very the very last scene when they go up to confront Loki and he asks for the drink. Is What if Tony just went, weren't your eyes blue the last time I saw you? And th- Thor. Well, no, I really wasn't interested in fixing Loki at that point. If I'm going to fix Loki, I'm going to go back further than that. Because I think we need to get around that whole mass murder thing. You know, if at all possible. Uh- <laughs> well, that's, that's... Okay. Okay. Never mind. Um, My main point would have been to... um, One, reveal the Mind Stone. And two, keep it out of the hands of Hydra. So we don't get the Scarlet Witch. That would be my canon divergent point for that. And that Thor would recognize um, that now Earth has two fucking um, Infinity Stones... And that's a problem. Why not do it on the heli- and- why not do it on the helicarrier, then? I mean, why would you need to wait for half of Manhattan to be destroyed? The portal's open by that point, right? I think so. The portal... Well, no. I mean, is it? Is well, the, it? Because Tony's... The- why did Tony come into his house and have a drink if... The portal was already open. He didn't have a choice. His suit was malfunctioning. He came in. Loki was there, and he he was telling Jarvis to hurry up because um, the the portal was being open. It was already open. It was self sustaining. He told Doctor Selvig to shut it down. Doctor Selvig re- refused. I may have the events out of order, but I think that's the way it went. Doctor Selva said it's self-sustaining, and it was it, it, nothing was really open and coming through yet. But he it, he had launched it by that point, and he couldn't shut it down. Tony Tony fired at it, but he couldn't get it shut down. Um, and Tony had to land. Mm. I think I'd have to double check the order. It's been a long time since I watched that movie. I've seen it recently, but I don't. It's that particular scene where he arrives back at the tower isn't one that I find particularly noteworthy. Generally. So sometimes what you're right, what you're right. I, mean. I don't know. I that's the scene I have in my head. That's the one I would pick. I mean, the in the in a moment of frustration that Tony aims at the scepter because it's already caused so many problems. Except that he didn't get his suit on till he'd been thrown out the window, yeah, because he called it to him. Why didn't he call it to he him couldn't. sooner? It was still being manufactured. Why? Remember, he t- when he landed, he told Jarvis, hurry up, skip the spinning rims. Jarvis told him it wasn't ready yet because his suit was disabled, basically. And he kind of sputters to a landing, and, and he tells Jarvis, skip the spinning rims. And then he goes in, he fakes the whole drink thing, pretending to be casual, to pick up those wrist sensors, which is how the suit aligned to him. So he didn't even know the suit was going to be ready when he got tossed out the window. He just hoped. Ouch. It's been a while. I still want to do it in that room, though. So you have to... Ha- I'd so figure have, it out if you'd I wrote have it. Out, I you have to prolong it. the conversation between Tony and Loki in order for the suit to be ready. And it would be easy enough to do that because Tony was baiting yeah. him. But I still want to do it there. And I don't know I don't know why. Sometimes scenes stick out in my brain. And I'm like, ah, that's not how I would have wrote that. And it just kind of sticks in my brain. And um that's one of them. But my main divergent point for Loki and fixing Loki is that he doesn't fall um into Thanos's hands he falls um and because there's already kind of a setup where where Odin has been tossing things towards earth or midgard because he's pissed um when the Bifrost breaks it sends Loki to the last um destination and he ends up on earth and he eventually meanders his way into Tony's life in bed and by the time Avengers comes around just saying, It all depends on what you're trying to accomplish, which is why just a movie give me, I'll give you a divergence point or you know, picking a movie and getting a divergence point is a little bit It's certainly not the way my process works because if I don't know what I'm trying to accomplish, uh, anything could be a divergence point, like literally anything. Like, why well, but that divergent point would be to literally just make him just make, you know, Tony. Have a living God. (laughs) Just the romance. But um, I don't know. Loki had brought people from Jotunheim, right? Jotunheim. Jotunheim. Heim. Jotunheim. Jotunheim. He had brought them there. But had he sent anybody there? Well, it had been open. uh, Loki opened it to Jotunheim and... um, and was trying to destroy it with the Bifrost by leaving it open. That was the whole premise of the end of Thor. Was that um, mm-hmm. he was using the Bifrost to try to destroy um, the whole planet. He was trying to enact genocide. Well, he was having a very difficult day. <laughs> but no, I would throw him to Earth. I would. That would be the divergent point. So he never gets tortured by Thanos. Um and he's not um, involved in Hydra's mess, and he doesn't kill a whole bunch of people trying to n- basically fail at conquering the earth because he didn't really bring his A game, did he? <laughs> I mean, kind of slack ass about it. So, but yeah, I would pick that point to fix Loki to give him a. Um, thought you said that was a better. I thought path. that was to give Tony a living god. <laughs> Well, yeah, that too. I mean, if, if, yeah, it's a fix after a after fashion. fashion. Well, I mean, like I said, if he if I don't if I don't have a an agenda, I don't just like I'm just not gonna randomly pick a divergent point and go. I'll just go from here. That's not the way my brain's wired. So. I have to have something that I want to accomplish in order to pick a point to diverge. It's one of the reasons why picking a movie was a little bit difficult for me was because just picking a couple of movies I like and trying to find a divergence point. That's not really where my process is. So um, I had to spend quite a lot of time on, on the whole thing. It's like, what would I be interested in writing about? What would I want to accomplish? And then figure out the best divergent point to, to accomplish that goal. I pick my divergent points based on emotion. Okay. That, that's something I just realized about myself, that I, that I pick my moments based on um, emotional content. And when Loki and Thor are at the end of the Bifrost, and he's trying to keep Loki from falling, and he's so desperate for it. And, you know, despite what Loki did, he's still so desperate to keep his brother from falling. And Loki lets go. And that letting go, is um, it stuck with me. That he that he gave up. This actually would take place after Iron Man two, because Thor Thor's hammer lands in um, Nevada during the last part of Iron Man. New 2. Mexico. And yeah, the the last scene, the after credit scene, is Phil pulling up to the crater. Um, it is New Mexico. Um, he's pulling up to the crater in um, or New Mexico, whatever. Uh, Desert state. Insert desert state. Yeah, he's pulling up to the crater in the in the after credit scene, and Thor's hammer is down in the crater. So the events of Thor d- start immediately after Iron Man two. So um, Loki wouldn't be on planet for for the events of Iron Man two if your divergence point is the end of Thor. And that was that was that was a comment for the chat room for those who listen to the podcast. That was not that was not Takira. Right. Because I know that Loki would and Loki probably would recognize Natasha's um, duplicity, whether he would know what it meant or not is up for is, is up for debate d- depending on how long he'd been on earth. But if you look at the events of Iron Man 2 and the events of Thor, um, the opening of Thor. The, the the hammer gets tossed to Earth, like in the first what fifteen minutes of the movie, first ten minutes of the movie, mm, yeah, f- somewhere in there. Well, I mean they, no, it's probably first it's somewhere in the first half hour because maybe twenty minutes, I don't, somewhere in there because it, they have to go through that whole big coronation that doesn't happen. The 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 the, the frost giants who invade but get killed, which is interrupts the coronation. Then Thor, um, deciding to go to Jotunheim and start a battle, the whole fight there odin coming and getting them Mm -hmm. that's at least 20 minutes i think punishment 20 minutes yeah um but yeah they do all kind of happen in the same week they call it nick fury's big week i think um but there is potentially some overlap the after credit scene the thing is when when tony is trying to figure out his element at the end of iron man 2 um which is like like three quarters of the way through um phil is with him And Phil gets called away to New Mexico. So there is probably some overlap between the end of Thor, the beginning of Thor and the um, end of Iron Man 2. But it it doesn't change the fact that the events of Iron Man 2 still wrap up before Thor wraps up. There may be some overlap, but definitely Thor, you know, it's Iron Man 2 and then Thor. But if you wanted to write an alternate universe, you could put Loki on Earth before before the events of Thor. If you want to write a canon divergent, you have to put him, you have to take him out of play somewhere during the movie, and drop him elsewhere, and that would be canon divergent. Um, but if you want him to be there for the events of Iron Man 2, then Loki needs to have arrived on Earth um, before Iron Man 2 even starts, and that could. Be canon divergent for Iron Man 2 as long as nothing nobody that Tony has ever had any interaction with has interacted with Loki and been affected by Loki. If there are ripples that affect Tony's life to Loki being on Earth, then it's not canon divergent anymore. No, no, it'd be AU. So you can't have Loki on Earth and is Tony's lover, that doesn't work. Um, well, you can do it, but it wouldn't be canon divergent. Yeah. <laughs> it would just be a hot, sexy alternate universe, and I'm not mad. Go for it, <laughs> but it won't work for November. <laughs> um, no. uh, Harry, Harry Potter points. Um, uh, all of them. We actually have a plot drift for this, but I'm going to bring it up, and then maybe we'll do a plot drift later in the year for it. Is it. What if Moody... Rec- You know, Moody, this super powerful, very experienced, magical cop, or rescued himself. Or just didn't get caught, you know. Right? (laughs) One of the two. I mean, you know, okay, so he got caught unaware, you know, caught off guard. It can can happen to the best of us. But that he spent a whole year in that trunk? Really? He didn't manage to learn a single damn bit Um wandless magic in the whole fucking time he'd been alive and he wasn't that just doesn't make a bit a damn bit of sense to me except we know he's not under the drought of living death because um when Barty Couch opens the trunk Moody's awake he's plucking samples off him on, on the damn regular for his Polyjuice potion and never like trying to overpower Barty or nothing. It's just yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that he just was living down there. I mean, he's down there for a whole fucking year and it's been established in canon that magical people have magical hair. It's used in polyjuice. It has magical residue in it. It's used in wands, even though it's a vila hair. I, it's, I still think that he could have made a temporary wand out of his own damn hair and Something in the trunk that would have been enough to to get out or something. I don't know. Even wandless magic seems like he might have learned a trick or two in his time. He's supposed to be smart. He's supposed to be um, very experienced as an R R or, and yet he's in this whole he's in this damn trunk for ten months or is it eleven months and i think well a long damn time do we know <laughs> do we even know exactly when he was kidnapped i think there's a there, there's a mention that moody caused a disturbance with his trash cans and that's the um probably the point where he was kidnapped and replaced by Bar- by barty because barty didn't know the trash cans were um trapped or they activated the tr- the tr- the cans to distract moody and and Took him at that point. He, yeah, he's being yeah he's being held hostage in his own damn trunk. <laughs> I don't believe for a second he doesn't have secondary weapons and wands in that trunk. Hidden panels and shit. What's the point of having a magical trunk with a room in it if there's no shit in it for himself? And Barty has to be feeding him. Or he'd have died, right? So... He's going, he's he's pulling samples off of him. He's feeding him. That damn trunk is being opened at least two or three times a week. How did he never even try to escape? You can't convince me, as paranoid as he is, that he didn't have a whole bunch of options in his trunk. And I doubt Barty got them all. But apparently he did in canon. <laughs> I just it just it it's always driven, driven me nuts. Um I like AUs or canon divergence where Harry says no to the Goblet of Fire, just says nope, I ain't not gonna do I it, ain't doing it, not doing it. That's not the way that's gonna go down. Didn't didn't put my name in. Didn't do it. I also like canon divergence where even if he does participate in the tournament, he does not forgive Ron for his dumbass behavior. Which seems like a small point, but it resonates. It would resonate out. There's a lot of ripples there if Ron Weasley is no longer his friend. And potentially one of those ripples is that sometime during their sixth year, Ron Weasley would get poisoned and die. The champions champion? That's crack. And also, I guess it yeah, I guess it would qualify as Canon Divergent. But it's so cracky. I, I often find things that are hardcore crack like that, that if you really pay close attention um, that they wind up being like canon similar AUs, not really canon divergent, because there's just enough different like they ultimately contradict canon. They kind of can't help it. In, in Champion's Champion the most hilarious terrible part is the, the whole Draco thing. And how Ron's mistakes keep making Draco's life worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse worse worse, to the point where even um, his dad can't pay Umbridge to marry him. (laughs) I'm just saying. It it was terrible, but also priceless. But it is um, because Ron and because Harry and Hermione end up together, it can't be considered canon compliant because. Um, that doesn't happen in canon. Of course Ron being in the tournament. Doesn't happen either. So it, it's it's not. That one in particular. Is is really too far gone. To even be canon adjacent. I don't even know what canon adjacent is. Me neither. <laughs> Someone kept using it in the chat. room. Right? I'm like. Well it's like close to canon. But not quite. The amount of dick jokes in that. In that story. Is stunning. They kind of leaned into that whole that whole dick joke thing. Polish your wand. I mean, I think in the end of that movie, in that movie, in the end of that, isn't isn't this the same story where Ron ends up in um, St. Mungo's, thinking he's Harry Potter, like he's like permanently driven insane, and he thinks. And he actually killed Voldemort with his farts because it corrupted the potion in the cemetery? Yeah, yeah. I mean it, it goes completely out there. It's like shoo. it's out on Jupiter. <laughs> funny though. Very funny. So which insertion point would you pick for Avengers? Um well depending on what I was trying to do, I would use the one I mentioned if I was trying to, um, I'd probably have Thor, eh, I'd either have Thor notice something going on with Loki on the helicarrier and then smash the scepter with his hammer or um, have Tony comments. And I already plotted something where Tony comments um, when they go upstairs and he remarks on Loki's eye color. It does seem like a Thor thing to do, that if he thought the scepter was controlling his brother, that he would seek to destroy it immediately. I, I don't think he'd even question. He wouldn't give them a chance to mess with it. He would just grab it and smash his hammer into it. And then the Mind Stone would be revealed, and that would be pretty epic. T.W.? Teen Wolf? Um, well, I uh, time and time again, I've picked the end of Season 2. Um, and I guess it, for a couple reasons, I actually, I think my next project in Teen Wolf, I would choose to diverge at the end of, um, um, well, no, because I honestly, that scene on the mountainside with Thor, Tony and Steve, uh, I think, well, A, it was dark and it's like, it's, I don't think that you were, even if he noticed something, he he wasn't, there's not really an opportunity there to insert a moment of change because once iron man tackled him off that ledge nothing was going to change until they got to the helicarrier you know that fight was going to go down the way it was going to go down so i don't see it i don't see a ton of opportunity for change there because even if he notices something's going on with loki he's still going to get tackled off that cliff and he's still going to get in a fight with iron man and steve is still going to show up and they're still going to level a forest but he could if he wanted to like put the change there he could start noticing and talking about something being up with loki on the quinjet um okay what was the Teen wolf um so i've done teen wolf the end of season two over and over um and it's because i do not it it doesn't make sense to me that styles would get beaten up like that 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 his father's deputies would most of them be killed and that he would continue to try to keep his father in the dark for another round of supernatural madness um it seems reckless and um it it doesn't it it either makes him incredibly mentally unhealthy or which is possible that he would continue to be so dogged about keeping his father in the dark through you know i mean there was this what they thought was a serial killer killing people in groups of threes the duroc in season 3a and he still didn't talk to his dad. So I just the events between Styles getting kidnapped and beaten up and it's a fairly short period of time um between the deputies being killed but there's yeah but yes I'm sure they they all have some level of PTSD but either he's like like a borderline sociopath for in, in the way he's you know in his dogged um Either he's utterly traumatized or he has an empathy disorder. I mean I'm just saying. There's just something that doesn't make sense about him continuing to insist on not getting his father involved. Because his father clearly was not safe. His whole rationale was what, was that, that of a toddler. Like, um I think at that point, like when hit like it is a miracle that his dad survived and it wasn't one of the people killed. Right. So it is a miracle. And the fact that he would sit there and go, my dad won't be safe. If I tell him about the supernatural, it's a, it's a childish point of view to take. And so either styles, isn't old enough to be able to handle that kind of stuff, which is that mentality makes you think that, or, I mean, it just, the logic of the whole situation goes off the rails after the end of season two. So I've kind of, and I, I think I've put my, my flag, you know, planted my flag there on the end of season two, because I could not get my brain around going any further. Um, and I, I'm like, I can't, I don't, I don't see, I don't see Noah letting it go that his son was abducted and beaten up. I don't see, um, styles being this truly self-deluded, um, a bit deluded about, about his father's safety and that being ignorant is keeping his father safe. I just don't see it. But I actually think that I would, my next venture into team of i'm hoping will be to diverge at the end of season one or before the end of season one because i would like to write a story that doesn't see a bunch of kids setting a man on fire who was nearly burned to death due to the length of the conversation that took place on ripples and uh, Divergence Points. This, this podcast has been split into two parts. Thank you.